Hello and welcome to another Milwaukee Admirals podcast with Charlie Larson. I'm Aaron Sims. Charlie, today we have a guy who has been a winner everywhere he's been. Calder Cup as a player, as a coach, Turner Cup champion, Stanley Cup champion. Uh, He's been an assistant coach, an NHL head coach. Uh, and and I throw this in, and I, and I think I told him this 20 years ago when I first met, not 20 years ago, not quite, 16 years ago when I first met him. Uh, when I was a player, a, a younger player in the, in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis, St. Paul, this guy was one of my three favorite Minnesota Golden Gophers. And, it, and it's funny <laughs> because one of those others is Lance Pitlick, who ended his son as playing now for him with the Nashville Predators. He's former right. assistant coach. Nashville Predators assistant coach Todd Richards. Todd, thanks so much for the time. Pat Micheletti, by the way, is the other one. So it was Micheletti, you, and it, like in that in that group there, and Pitlick. Those were my three guys when I was 13, 14 years old. Well, you, you got a little bit of everything there. In yes, those, in I those do. Players. Yes, you I know, do. You, you got Pat, Pat who can score, and he's a little bit dirty. He was a Pat dirty was a rat. Pat was a rat. And, you know, Pitt Pitt was just kind of mean everywhere on the ice, big hitter, big open ice hitter. And I was kind of the soft skilled guy. You, were you, you, you roomed with Lance Pitlick though, right? Uh, no, in college, you didn't? Okay. I, I was with, I was with Dave Snuggerud. Uh, that, okay. that was my roommate. And the one year he was at the Olympics, I roomed with, uh, Jay Cates. Okay. But, okay. Uh, all my, all my other years I was with, uh, I was with Snuggy. Okay. Cause the reason I say that is cause I thought Rem told me that your dad, you guys at least played together. I thought Rem. Yeah told me that you guys roomed together and i thought wow that's a really small world that that would happen yeah did you get did you get to know rem at all last year did you know Rem I, growing I, up? i did he, he was with us you know pretty much uh all year i think he had a uh you know some brief stints down in chicago playing down there um you know with the split squad you know milwaukee and chicago uh but he was up you know and there were times he was on the on the taxi squad and there were times where, you know, we didn't really even see the taxi squad. So you right. didn't really run into those guys just because of the, the separation there. But no, I had some, some good interactions with them and, and talked about him and talked about his dad and talked about some, some past uh, gopher stories and uh, <laughs> those types of things. So, and, well, and even high school, you know, I, I, I went to high school with his brother, John Pitlick. And his son is playing in the NHL right now. And he just, he got picked up by Seattle. And then traded and then to Calgary. Moved to, just got uh, traded Calgary, to, I believe. Calgary, yeah. Calgary, yeah. yeah. So, I, I, you know, and, and Lance opted to go to kind of our rival, the rival school. We were Robbinsdale Armstrong. They were Robbinsdale Cooper. And uh, he elected to go over there and play. So, you know, for two, two years, I think, you know, we had some pretty intense games, uh, Armstrong against Cooper. Yeah, yeah. I How different, how weird was this last couple of years? I mean, you win a Stanley Cup in the bubble with Tampa. You go to Nashville, you have the taxi squad. The AHL isn't, it's 28 of the 31 teams. Um, you kind of have dealt with this a little bit. You played during the lockout in 94, 95. Uh, you play, you were, I think your first full season as a head coach in Columbus was during the lockout for half yes. a season, right? I mean, it's, you've, you've experienced things like this before, but how different was this past year and a half? Uh, well, uh, extremely difficult at times, but extremely easy at times. I, you know, going into the, the bubble when I was with Tampa, 
um, it did pose some, some issues, but they were just different issues. You know, when you get into the playoffs, you know, you're in with the travel, you know, you get the grind of the travel, which can get really hard. Um, you know, using an example, when we played the Washington Capitals, I think it was two years prior, you know, that, that travel going from Tampa to Washington playing two games because the airport ride is almost 45 minutes to an hour right there in Washington. Sure. You know, you play two games, you come back to Tampa, you play two games, then you go back up to Washington. Sorry, we started at home. We had home ice. So it was Tampa two, Washington two, uh, back to Tampa for one, back to Washington for one, and then back to Tampa for one. So the grind is, is the travel. Yeah. Um, and you, and you get your, your mental releases and where you're able to kind of let go when you're around your family and at home where you can really unwind and kind of let go of the game in, in the bubble, you know, you didn't have the grind was the isolation. That was what the hard thing was. We didn't have the grind of the travel. Actually, that was the easy part. You know, we right. woke up in our hotel, we went down to the rink, you know, when you were away team we didn't even switch benches. We just switched jerseys. We, we didn't change our locker rooms. We didn't change any of that stuff. So there was no grind with the travel. The grind was just the isolation and being away. You didn't really have that release of letting go of the game by, you know, interacting with your kids, interacting with your wife or your, your dog or family, uh, whatever it was, you know, going to a movie, you know, getting just, out of the hotel, just going, we couldn't home, do any right? of that. So it was all, it was all about the isolation. Um, and then this past year, I, again, it proved uh, the same thing, I would say, you know, some unique things that we only experienced this one time because you can see our schedule. We're going back to kind of the traditional schedule now, but I enjoyed going to a city and playing there twice. Um, you can actually unpack your bag right, and you right. can stay, stay for a little while where a lot of times when you get on the road, you know, I literally will just throw a bag on the, uh, you know, on the couch or something like that. And I'll just open it up. I won't unpack it. Right. I'll pull things out and then kind of repack it because I know I'm leaving in, you know, 24 hours or, or something like that, even less. less. So you, you, I just learned to be really efficient when I'm, when I'm on the road, um, you know, but it's, it still was hard. It was unique that we were only playing, you know, what, seven other teams. Right. Uh, I think there was eight teams in each division, something like that, but, you know, only playing seven, which proved to be pretty unique in itself. Uh, as well so th there were some good things in our shortened season and then you're it's a really compact schedule where you're you seem like you're playing all the time and then also playing in front of empty buildings and then we got to experience and it's funny because when we started playing and we started getting attendance in our in our that the norm was empty buildings and I was used to that right mm -hmm. and I didn't think I was going to miss the crowds as much because that became normal but I'll tell you what you put uh, a building together, you, you, you pack building and man, what a difference that makes. And it really makes me appreciate now kind of that energy that you do get, uh, from fans. That was one yeah. of the challenges I kept thinking about is like, when you go on the road, you want to be the bad guy, right? I mean, you want to be booed. You I mean, and at home you want to be cheered and all of that stuff. And there, there is something to that. Yeah, no, I, without a help. But there are times where you're at home and we, we were getting booed. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and, and our game was like that, you know, for the first uh, 20 games. And and you know what? We we deserved it the way that we played. Uh, but a credit to uh, John Hines and credit to the players and how they kind of regrouped. And, and, and then we got some traction and found our game. And, uh, you know, kind of that identity of Nashville Predator hockey 
of, of, you know, just that being a tough building to play in and right. uh, the energy and, and the energy we gave, I think the fans gave it back to us and we were kind of able to feed off each other. And it, it was really, really enjoyable to watch and obviously really enjoyable to be a part of. And a lot of those guys that, uh, that helped the turnaround were guys that came from Milwaukee, right? That, uh, that w- when you guys started playing well, that's when, you know, the Alex Carriers and Olivier, the Genos and Olivier's, that's when they really stepped up their game and, and started playing. That must have been sort of neat for you, I would imagine, to, to have this come through with your relationship here. Yeah, it, it, it was, you know, being a guy who was a, a minor league player and, you know, uh, you know, looking for opportunities myself as a player, it's nice when you do see those young players come up and get the opportunities. And, you know, you always talk, talk to them, well, the door's open, you know, you got to kick the door open. And uh, uh, a lot of the players did that, you know, they got their moments, they got their opportunities and they made the most of it. And you are right. Uh, you know, we experienced, I, I don't know if it was the, the travel with the, the schedule, um, but we just started getting lots of injuries and we had no choice but to give these guys those opportunities. And, and what really happened is the team started to turn around. We started to have success and then we really had tough, had to make some tough choices as coaches. And that's what you would like to have as a coach is, you know, those tough choices about, you know, does he go in, does he come out, you know, what's whatever it is. Um, but you are right. Uh, we were able to feed off the energy of the, the young players and, the, you know, really their excitement coming in and being a part. And it just goes to show you that, uh, you know, looking that that desperation, you know, they want to they want to play in the NHL. Um, so there's a lot of motivation there. Your, to continue here, your, your relationship with Milwaukee, an assistant from 02 to 06, and probably the four most successful years combined in, the, in Milwaukee Admirals history. Um, w- when you were closing your pr- playing career, was, it, was coaching inevitable? Was that what you wanted to do, or did you have any idea? I, I did not have a clue, Aaron. I, I, uh, I remember thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And uh, I finished my last year over in Switzerland and you actually missed my Swiss championship over there. As I'm sorry. I there. apologize. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. So uh, I do it on other continents too. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, but no, you know what? I was over there playing. I was, I think 35 years old and I, I really was unsure what I was going to do. And uh, Peter Horchak, who coached me for six years down in Orlando prior to me going over to Europe and we won the last Turner cup together when he was the head coach. Uh, and then the IHL disbanded, it was gone. It dissolved. And, um, so a lot of guys had to go to some different places. Peter Horchek had to go to the East coast league to coach Trenton. and get a job. And he yeah. went there for one year and then he got the Milwaukee job. And I was just coming out, uh, from playing in Europe. And I remember I just called Peter and congratulated him. And, uh, and then I guess my mind, I, I don't know if it was him or if it was me, but, well, I know he wanted me to play at first, and I, th- I think I was done playing. My body had just had enough, and I, you know, I was 35, and I've been chased around on the ice by young 22-year-olds and 20-year-olds and who are bigger, stronger, faster. I started getting hit more, and I knew that my game was, was, was slowly deteriorating. Down. I was slowing down because I wasn't able to escape some of those hits. I was just getting hit too much. So I knew it was, it was getting close to that time. And at that time I, I knew I was done, but I think I expressed to Peter about, you know, the possibility of being a, a coach with him. I didn't want to play, but the possibility of being a coach. 
And, uh, uh, I think he liked that idea. And I, and from there it just kind of evolved. And I, I ended up fortunately getting my foot in the door with really out any experience. And, um, you know, the first year was definitely eye opening for me as a, as a, a guy who went from player to coach and just everything that happens behind the scenes and all that, uh, is done that as a player, you have no idea the planning. And I'm talking more from management all the way down to the coaching, you know, to the travel, to the hotels and all the stuff that goes into it. Um, and then Peter got promoted and then Claude came in and I was with Claude for three years. And, and, uh, you know, we had all, we had successful years, but really those three years with Claude, uh, were, we had some really, uh, successful seasons there. Yeah. When you, when you come in and as an assistant, do you have to present, do you have to have a, in the interview process, do you have a presentation about this is what Todd Richards would like to do on the ice, things like that with Ray Shiro, with David Poyle, who do you got to meet with? Yeah. It, well, it was that at first it was with Peter. I think Peter and I knew each other so well. And, you know, I was a captain there for a few years uh, uh, with him down there. So I think he knew me, I knew him. Um, the big thing I, th I think was just me getting past um, being a player. And, and kind of taking that step into coaching and into the management. And I'm ready for that. And I remember Ray Shiro, um, you know, the interview with Ray. And it, I wouldn't say it was lengthy, but, um, you know, he asked a couple questions. And uh, I don't know if my answers were correct. Um, <laughs> he asked me one question about, you know, what's your job as an assistant coach? And, you know, being really naive and, or what's your number one job as an assistant coach? And I said, well, I, I need to be the you know, kind of the liaison between the players and the head guy getting information, passing it back. He's like, no, you're, you're loyal to the head guy. And I was like, okay, yes, that is a, that is a good response. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, it was, it was, it was good. It was good. The whole process. And then again, I, I have to really, you know, thank Peter for getting me in and obviously Claude with everything he did and, and, you know, really giving me the experience to, to, to grow as a coach. Uh, but the other thing too was were the guys in Nashville, Barry Trotz, Brent Peterson, and Peter when he was up there too, uh, really accepted me as a guy coming in and 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 you know allowed me to sit in and to learn to ask questions and they were very uh, uh, forthcoming with me as far as you know just offering me advice on certain things. So it was a great experience, great situation. I got a ton of respect for you know Brent and Peter and. And obviously Barry, because uh, uh, they were they accepted me and allowed me to be a part of the process. Loyal to the head coach, but at the same time, and this go this is universal. This is when you were a head coach, or or now that you're with John Hines, you want to challenge that coach too, right? You as a head coach, you want to be challenged and and try to open your mind a little bit, right? Yeah, it, you're 100 right. I, I I think behind closed doors, I I think you know when you're back, you're talking, you're talking openly, and I think. You know, all thoughts should be challenged if, if you think so. Yeah. You know, I, 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 when I was a head coach, I even wanted, I told that to my assistant coach. I want to be challenged. I want to be pushed. You know, my way isn't always the right way. Um, even when you sit and you talk about certain things, we might be talking about the exact same thing, but somebody can describe it a little bit better where it makes more sense. It might be one word that they right. use where you're like, oh, that that really resonated with me when you said it and you said it that way, like it clicked with me. I got it. I understood it better. Um, so I, I, I think sometimes there is systematically a better way to do things, but sometimes it's just when you communicate, sometimes there's, 
more efficient, easier ways uh, for players to understand or re- for even coaches to get their point across. So that that 0304 team that wins the Calder Cup, uh, as the as the assistant coach, and you you know you'd only been your second year as an assistant, but at what point do you, someone who has won, like you said, won a, a Turner Cup, two Calder Cups, uh, one in Switzerland, so you you know what a winning team looks like. At what point did you know that this team that they've got a they've got a shot? You got to have the talent, but it's a lot more than just talent. I you know what? That's a good question, Charlie. I I don't know if there was a point. I I think we knew we were good. Um, you know, but so many other things have to fall in line to, to win. Uh, I I think when you're a player, I think you're just playing, you know, you don't even think about things, but when you're a coach, I think you think of a lot more about the other things because players really only get dialed in on, on game days, or at least that's, that's how I remember it. You know, they're only concerned about the game and that, and as coaches, you're concerned about so many other things, uh, within the game and, and what happens after the game or right before the game. So there are a lot more things to, that you think about. When you look back at that team, I mean, we had some really good uh, – we had guys in the right spots, in the right roles. And it's easy to look back at it now and say we won because of that because I – you know, looking back at other teams, whether I played or whether I coached, I think you can say the same thing. Guys were in the right spots and they right. went out and executed their roles. And, you know, it, it wasn't about – so many times I think when teams are struggling, guys don't know their roles or guys want more than maybe what they should be getting or what they think they should be getting. And um, that can create a lot of problems. Um, but, you know, we, are, we, we had great goaltending. We had a really deep defense. And I think we were we had a good mix up front with uh, the skilled guys, with some physical guys. And, and we had some young guys, you know, the Shiskanoffs, the Pivkos, um, you know, Hadar, Gamash. And, I, you know, I really think an important guy coming in was Tony Herkus. I, I think sure. adding him was uh, really important for our, for our team going forward. It provided some stability, uh, some veteran leadership and guidance that I think we were missing. Uh, at the time, because he could calm things down in a second in the locker room. Yeah. You know, you know, maybe Claude goes in and you know lays into the team, and you know, Herc was always a loyal guy, and it wasn't like he was going against the coach. But sometimes he could say things that could calm the guys down and just say, "Hey, listen, okay, we got it. Let's let's forget that. And let's go out and play." And he, you know, that presence. Um, so, and and there was a good story coming out of that too, and it was funny because. Uh, and sorry, I'm rambling a little bit. No, no that's all right. That's why coach. we do this. But exactly. I, but so I, I don't know if you guys remember this. We had a defenseman that got that got sent down uh, right at uh, Robert Schnabel. I think it was right towards the end of the year. What's that? Robert Robert Schnabel. I remember Correct. it very well. Correct. And um, I remember Claude coming in to the locker room after. I, I don't even know what game it was, where we were in the season, and he's like we got to get this guy out of here. And it was just, it, it, it was just what I described. He got sent down. He wanted the penalty kill. He wanted a power play. He wanted, because he got sent down, he thought he should be playing in all these situations. Yeah. And it was a big distraction. It was creating a, a problem and, of, of its own. And, and it, it also started to interrupt you, but it also created a veteran issue because he was a veteran and we could only have seven 
we could only dress, I believe at the time it was seven, seven vets. And so Brad Tiley was having to sit out a game. Uh, you know, they, it just rotated and Schnabel was, he was stirring things up, so to speak. Yes. So, so there were just lots of distractions associated with him. And um, uh, I remember he, we, we, in a credit to, to David Coyle and, uh, you know, we sent him home. He went, he went back out. And after we won, we swept Wilkes-Barre. We were sitting at, a, I think it was a TGI Fridays or something like that, celebrating after the win in Wilkes-Barre. And Tony Herkus came up to me and we were talking. And obviously, I, I, you know, Herc was an older player at the time. I played against him in college. I played against him a little bit in pro. So we, we had a, a pretty good relationship. And, you know, he came up to me. He's like, Richie, you know what the best move was this whole playoffs or best move of the season? And I'm like, no, what? He's like, get having him, getting him away from the rest of the team. Yeah. He's like, that was, that was one of the best moves that, that we did. And I, again, I think it just eliminated all the distractions. Guys got right back into their roles, their positions. They understood. And there was no more what's going on with me because you start to, he, you know, that distraction starts to affect other players around. And I think that's what it was doing. And we eliminated that problem and then we're able to go out and just play and, and obviously had great success. We've heard so many guys from that team, Brad Tiley, Herc, uh, Claude Noel, um, that it was the players' room, right? I mean, it, you, you talked about Herc settling things down. That group of players, every so often they needed a refresher. Maybe you and Claude would sit down with them and say, hey, this needs to happen. But for the most part, it was their show. It was. And, and Claude did a great job with that. You know, and again, I was a young coach coming in, a guy who had been a captain. But again, just... I, I, I think really growing uh, Schultze was our, was our captain. Right. And, you know, he was a young captain and, you know, he needed some help and some guidance. And I, I think that's one thing in, in, in leadership. I, I think you can help grow leadership. You can help teach leadership and, you know, guys have to have the qualities ahead of time and the values of being a leader. But I think as a coach, you can help coach leadership. And I think Claude did a great job with that. And obviously Schultze and having the help of, you know, Brad Tiley is a good name that I, I, I should have mentioned earlier. You know, Curtis Murphy, who was with us. Yeah, right. And obviously another guy you know, who Tony, won everywhere. Won everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. T Tony Herkus. And I, I played with Murph. So, you know, we won together down in Orlando. So, again, I and I played with Brad Tiley in Orlando, too. So I, I had, you know, some unique relationships with these guys being a former player. But, you know, to be on the other side of that, you know, kind of barrier, you know, where you have the players on one side and you have the coaches on the other. So, you, you know, you're, you're seeing and talking about things behind the, you know, with, with no players around and then you go in front of the room, but I thought Claude did a excellent job of, of getting the most out of and getting guys to recognize, you know, that this is their show, you know, this is your team now, you know, he did everything. We did everything up to that point to get the guys ready. Um, and again, I, I think it was just how he, navigated the season and helped guys grow in that role in that position so that when it did come playoff time they they just kind of took over as a young assistant coach you mentioned the names there that you played with and played against and all of that did that help you in your career or did, was that a tough thing to to navigate and that you had these relationships with these guys and now it's it's a little different yeah i i, I don't think it hurt um you know that they, I think they feel more comfortable coming up and talking, talking to you. But as a, as a coach, again, you got to remember where your loyalty is and your loyalty is to the head coach. Your loyalty and, is to the team and the and organization. Your, and your position demands respect 
you know, you were a captain, right? I mean, they, they yeah. knew you as a captain. They knew you as a leader, I suppose. Yes. Yes, exactly. And, and you know, so you build up, you know, if, you, if guys trust you, you obviously did some good things or great things throughout your career when you were playing with them that, you know, they have enough respect, you know, to come up and talk to you and have questions and, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, but it is a, a, a totally different position when you do get on that other side where you're no longer a player and you're moving over, you know, onto the coaching side, because I, I have seen it too, where it, if you don't have that loyalty to the head coach or to the organization, things will spiral out of control very quickly. Yeah. The, uh, that, the, that the team really turned into a juggernaut after that first round against Cincinnati and, uh, goes to Wilkes-Barre and like the game one, we won, blew out, blew them out in game one, game two, or no, I, whatever it was, game four, you know, we're blowing them out. What's going through your mind? Second year coach, you've done this as a player, but now you're a coach. And what's going through your mind when you realize, hey, we're about to win the Calder Cup here? Uh, it, it was great. I, I was so happy. The only thing that I remember being extremely disappointed about was my family and my kids weren't there to share it with right. I, I remember that feeling out on the ice and you know they families wives that are in this business and kids that are in this business uh we all give up so much and and listen i'm not i love my job there's a lot of great things that come with my job but one of the things that that you know you you do spend the time you do miss certain things uh on the family side you miss birthdays you miss holidays those types of things um and it just would have been really nice to have them there and to celebrate the cup and celebrate the win. When I was in Orlando, the Turner cup, we were able to do that there. We won in Orlando. So the family was able to, so I know how special that is, especially to young kids, you know, that are right. You know, our, my kids would have been what, maybe about six or, you know, five, six, seven, somewhere in there. Right. So, just the perfect you know, time they're at, they're at, to really just age soak where, it in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that was really the only disappointing thing, but you're right. After the first period, I think it was four, nothing. I think we went bang, bang, bang. And you know, the crowd, and that was one thing too. I, uh, they wanted, that's when the home team started wearing dark jerseys, I believe. Right. It was right around that year. And, uh, they wanted a whiteout because they wanted to wear their home whites. Right. And I remember Claude asked me, he's like, should we let them do it? And, and my feeling right away is no, no, don't let them do <laughs> no it. way. And, uh, so, so that we, you know, we wore whites and they had the white out in the fans, but all their team, they were in dark jerseys. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this in a, a little bit later, but a couple of years down the road, a lot of those guys that are playing for Wilkes-Barre, you end up coaching as the head coach in Wilkes-Barre. Yeah. I'm trying to think, I, I don't know how many guys were there that, uh, were, were part of that team. I, I, uh, to be honest with you, Charlie, I'm not, I, I don't know if there was too many. I do have a good story though, about that whole three Oh four year. I, just the other day where I was in Nashville for meetings, uh, we just finished up the draft and they had all the scouts there and Doug Janik yeah. uh, is a new scout for, for Nashville. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I ended up talking to him. We ended up talking about that series against Rochester and, uh, and I told him, he's like, man, you guys were a great team. I'm like, you know what, Doug, uh, you guys were a great team. I think that was the one series where I really felt you guys might have had the edge on us. But the the thing, Wade Flaherty, I don't know if you guys remember, Wade Flaherty, oh, yeah. that series was lights well, unbelievable. out. Unbelievable. He was lights out. And he, he was bringing up how, 
you know, they had to travel to Milwaukee. Yes, they got. I remember they traveled the day of the game. They got in the day of game one, and then they played game two. And we go back to Rochester, but we played both games in Buffalo. In Buffalo, Buffalo. right? Yes. So they were still on the road, and he said that that was that was hard for them. And uh, but I we we talked very briefly about it. But again, that's that's what I remember coming out of that series was it was Ryan Miller versus Wade Flaherty. Wade Flaherty and and Wade Flaherty way outplayed him. Yes, he did. You know and, and. Ryan Miller played well, but our goaltender was just lights out. And yeah. they were they were a very good team, Rochester was. Oh, yeah. You, I mean, when you get a guy like Flats, who he, he's an older guy, get that, but but he, he's so calm, right? And he, like we've heard, what was it? There was a there was a puck that goes in off a defender, and Flaherty comes over to the bench and laughs about it. And the rest, I mean, that's when you get a guy like that, that mentality, that's your goalie. When he's not the the stereotypical uh, cliche goaltender when you get a guy like Wade Flaherty that that's that that says everything I mean that yeah that, that's your team right that's your leader well you he, he, here's a good example and and I remember this as a you know I was taking my son Zachary this I don't know how old he was might have been two or three years old he's walking we're walking I was playing in Orlando at the time walking down the sidewalk and he trips and falls it wasn't a hard fall but he tripped and fell and the first thing he does is he turns to look to see what your reaction is. Right. Yeah. Right. And if you seem concerned and you guys know this, if you seem concerned, he becomes concerned and he might start crying. But if you kind of laugh and play it off, he just kind of shakes himself off, gets up, yeah. and starts walking. Great. And it's, it's, it's leaders. Teams are uh, guys who are, I'm not going to say followers, but the, the rest of the team, a lot of times will look towards the leaders, how they react in certain situations. And guys that show the composure, which is no different as a coach. It's no different as a player or a goalie that comes over, Aaron, exactly what you were talking about. And they wait to see how their leader is going to react to some adversity of something that hit. You know, they're waiting to see. So if he comes over and he's out of control, the rest of the team may get off the rails and get out of control. But if the coach is in control and your goalie's in control and he comes over and laughs at it, everyone else might laugh at it. Go, okay, you know what? It's not that bad. Let's get let's get ready right. for the next shift and let's go. They're able to put it behind them maybe a little bit quicker. That's why I go absolutely nuts when I see fans or hear fans say, oh, the coach needs to yell more or the, the players need to yell. They got to show some life on the bench. And it, that, what you just said, that's totally that's how it has to be. I, I tell people when they say that to me, I say, do you want your boss to get on your case all the time at, you, right, at in, work. in public in front of everybody? <laughs> you yeah. don't want that. Yeah. They, they, there's, there's a time and a place. Uh, and again, as a coach, it's, it's figuring out wh- the right time and the right place. You know, it, it has to be, it, you do have to use your head in this job. It can't be just emotions. If you're just going off of emotions, you're, you're, there are times you're it, it will help, but there's going to be times where it hurts. Yeah. And again, it has to be more calculated, more thought of, and, you know, gathering information. And, you know, there has to be a time where enough is enough and you gotta, you gotta let the guys have it, you know, wherever it is, but you, 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 you do have to think through that or at least experience it. So, you know, when it is the right time, but, you know, in the end, Aaron, it all comes down to accountability and, yeah. and, you know, a, accountability for actions. It's no different in everyday life being accountable and it's no different in hockey, just making sure as a coach or a leader, you know, uh, being a captain of a team, it's, you know, when guys aren't practicing the right way or they're making poor choices away from the rink, it's, you know, you might 
laugh at it a couple times, might be funny, but eventually it's like, listen, Hey, Hey, you know, where you can try to reel them in. And, and as a coach, you know, that re- responsibility falls onto you as well. But that's why to me, the best teams, they, they have the, they've identified the right guys and the right captains. And those are the guys that, you know, are helping to manage those situations. So they don't become a bigger problem uh, uh, for the team or the player. Getting back to real quick uh, to when you talk about missing the chance to celebrate the Calder Cup in 03 or in 04 with your family, it's especially tough at this level because none of those players in the American Hockey League, nobody lives here year round. Yeah. Not like the IHL where guys could stay in a space in a place for three, four years and live there year round. So when you win the Calder Cup, odds are that within a week at the most, those guys are getting out of town and going back to where they're from. So it's, yeah. it's tough to have a real celebration. No, no, you, you're right about that. You know, when I, when I won the cup and as a player, you know, I was in Springfield and I was, I was single. I had, well, my wife, uh, who's now, uh, we were dating at the time, but you know, you're able to celebrate a little bit, but it really was, we, you know, we were, you know, Johnny Stevens, who's, you know, a head coach, been a head coach in this league. He's coaching in this league. Uh, he was our captain. And he was the only guy, I think, out of 20-some guys who was married. Yeah. Uh, Chris Tansel, I think, was engaged at the time. But, you know, really the family was really just the players. And I think as you get older, and especially you get up to this level where the NHL, you know, guys have families now. Where in the American right. League, you're, you got a lot of young guys mm-hmm. who, you know, they might have girlfriends or, or wives, but a lot of times – you know, these guys don't have, they're under a lot of kids kind of hanging around the locker. And, and on top of that, their contracts are up. They're probably not going to, you're not going to have the same team at all next year. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, the difference in the, the old IHL, that was kind of the old man's league. You know, the AHL right. was becoming the, the prospect league. The development where the league. guys were going there and the IHL kind of became the, uh, 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 the kind of the last dance for a lot of guys. Sure. Sure. And so a lot of these guys had families, had kids and, you know, had homes in the cities because you, you know, you'd sign for, I think I played in Orlando for six years. I think I had a four-year contract and then a two-year contract. So, you know, we knew that we were going to be there for a while. So you buy a house, you know, both kids were born in Orlando and uh, were able to grow up there, but it it was nice winning there. And, you know, there were lots of kids on that team. It it probably felt and looked resembled you know, if you just look at the ages and how the families were shaping up a lot like an NHL team. NHL team. I mean, I think a lot of guys, a lot of guys look back and say that their time, especially when there's success, that their time in the minors was some of the best times that they had playing hockey, like the most enjoyable because it's almost like a college atmosphere, right? They're all living pretty much in the same building. Well, yeah, here they all lived in the Blats, right? Yeah. Exactly. It's like, practice is done and you get out of the rink at noon or one o'clock and it's like okay what are we going to do now like where are we going somewhere are we going out to eat are we going to play video games and guys just look back fondly on it it's not the best hockey that they've played but they've really had a lot of fun doing it yeah it's it's general it's almost like a fraternity you're getting all the guys around the same age together really kind of everyone's in the same position you might have you know one or two guys that you know are a little bit different but you know it's it's a lot different now I, I'll compare it to when, when I played and what guys right. were doing, you know, from, from two o'clock till 10 o'clock, right. uh, a lot different. Let, let, me, yeah. let me just tell you, I got a son who's going through it now and 
you know, he, he's, he's very committed. I'll tell you that much more committed than I was as a player. And, you know, but his days are, you know, he, he'll get done and, you know, he'll get on his uh, Xbox or whatever, or get on the computer and, and play video games. And, you know, the, the thing is now too, you can stay connected with your teammates right? by doing that or your, your, your family members. So it's, it's, you know, the technology and everything, the way our society and the way we are right now, things are just a lot different. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, that, that next season, that 0405 season, people, do you feel that on paper, talent wise, that may have been the most talented team that, that you had in Milwaukee? Yeah, I, I would. The lockout I, I year? Think so we would probably have to go back over the roster just to remind me. But I think that was the year where I remember thinking, man, this, uh, I think we like defenseman wise, didn't we have Shea Weber and Ryan Suter? Didn't Not we have quite Weber. Guys? Weber would have been the next year, but Suter and Ham Hughes and that. Okay. Group. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I do remember, I, mean, I think it was that year of just being, and that's when we lost in the first round to Cincinnati, I believe. Cincinnati. And, uh, uh, and you know what? You go back and look at their team. They had a good team yeah, uh, those, as well. Those, those uh, guys on, paper, on that. When you look on, at it. Absolutely. Those guys on that Cincinnati team made up a big chunk of the team that would win the Stanley Cup in uh, 2007. In Anaheim, with, yeah. I think it was 07 with Anaheim. Yeah. 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 Right. So uh, that was, and it was a tough season. It's, it's difficult to end a year that way right it leaves a bad taste in your mouth yeah you know what i i think you learn a lot by your failures though too you know and you 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 have to experience some tough situations and some tough defeats and it was it was tough but i but i still think you learn your most from going through experiences like that it sucked it sucked at the time uh, everybody was disappointed, but I think you, you learn. And, and a lot of times you grow more from that than you do, uh, you know, having successes in life, as long as you, you approach it the right way. You know, that, that next year, that 05, 06 season, it's a return to the Calder cup final. I, I tell people all the time about, about the defensemen on that team. You, you, Shea Weber, uh, Greg Zanon was the captain. Uh, Brookbank came in, um, Rick Barry, Rick Barry. Uh, Kevin Klein. I mean, it, it was just ridiculous. The talent on the AHL blue line in Milwaukee in 05, 06. Well, really we had that all the years that I was, all That's the years true. I was in Milwaukee, That's we true. had unbelievable defensemen come through. I was very, very fortunate with that. And that's one thing I, I do know that helped me as a coach was having some really, really good young players to coach because uh, I, I think I was able to help them, but I think they were able to help me too uh, as a coach. Um, you know, if I made mistakes and, you know, not that they would say anything to me, but I, I, I think I knew it. And right. uh, um, so it, it was good for me, but you're right. You know, you look at all these, these guys that came through here, you know, tremendous depth, tremendous talent. And, you know, that's, that's one of the most rewarding things as a coach, when you get into this job, especially coaching in the, in the American league, or even coaching anywhere in the minors, when a guy, you know, makes a jump, you know, a, a Vern Fiddler, yeah. uh, you know, he, he, that story of him getting called up will always be probably my favorite story as a coach. Um, one that I, I remember thinking that this is why you want to coach. And, uh, you know, or a guy like Yanni Gord down in Tampa who, you know, yeah, had to right. play in the East Coast League and then yeah, come right. through the AHL. And, you know, so it's it's very rewarding to watch those guys kind of persevere 
um, to see them have success. Um, because as a coach, selfishly, I think you may look at it and go, okay, I, I hopefully I helped them. I gave them a little bit to, to help them get to that point. But it's just fun watching them have success and watching them become the players that I think, you know, sometimes you see as a coach and you hope that they can become uh, uh, something uh, more. So, you know, uh, it's very, very rewarding. One, one guy that has made a lot of news recently that you saw, you saw, you were the first person to tell me at least uh, about how good this guy was going to be was Pekka Rene. That uh, this guy was, you know, drafted in a round that doesn't exist anymore. People, you know, the, the stories about him, you know, see that you can only scout him in warmups and, he came over here and I remember this is probably two or three games into the season that you had said to me, myself and John Greenberg, like, listen, this guy is so good. And so like he's, he, he's, he competes higher than any goalie I've ever seen. And he is going to be amazing for us. And you didn't go, you were, you didn't go so far as to say, you know, Vesna, Vesna, maybe you knew it. You just didn't want to say it. Uh, but just tell us about your first year. What would you remember seeing in Pex uh, that year, his rookie year? Uh, I, again, having been around for a long time now, um, you know, there's a reason why the best players are the best players. Yeah. There, there is. They, they, a lot, of, I'm not going to say they work harder than everybody else, but a lot of times they have a level of work that, a lot of people can't match. A lot of other players can't match or they don't want to match. And it's, and it's every day. It's not part-time. It's not sometimes it's, it's, it's all the time. And I, I, I put a quote up. I found a quote in when I was head coach in Columbus, I put it up in our weight room that I really liked and can't remember who said it, but it, and I'm probably going to get it a little bit wrong, but it's, it's, uh, it's easy to work on days when you feel good. And I like that quote because it's so true. It's, it's, you know, when you're feeling good, it's easy to do things, yeah, right? It's, it's when you don't feel good, when you're a little bit tired, you're a little bit banged up, or maybe things didn't go your way the night before and you're a little bit depressed. Um, how are you going to work the next day? And again, to me, the, the elite players, and it doesn't matter what sport you're talking about. I would, I would bet a lot of money that, uh, you know, Tom Brady, there's a reason why he's the best. And he's had a long career and drew Brees, and I'm just using football guys, but it's no different in baseball. You know, they just do a little bit more and they do it over and over and over again. That keeps them at the top. So Pekka had that, you, you could see that. And he had a work ethic. And then the other thing was just a competitive drive. He was ultra competitive, you know, that would, he battle for every puck. And again, having been around this league long enough, uh, that to me, again, in elite goaltenders is something that you see over and over again, are the guys that go into practice and, and they don't give up goals. Yeah. I mean, they, they just, and they don't like it when someone pucks go into their net. And again, I think that's the drive. And you know what? Uh, another thing that I will say that, you know, I, I don't know if I saw it then with Pekka, but I will say it now is, uh, character. And he is as rock solid as a person as uh, you'll find. And right. uh, as good as a player he is, uh, you can say this about, a, you know, some, some of the, the great players in the league, as great as a player they are, uh, he's a better person yeah. than he is a player. And he's going to be a Hall of Famer. So that's, that's saying a lot. 
absolutely. The, uh, the end of that year, uh, regular season, Pekka's up in Nashville. A lot of guys are in Nashville. And Milwaukee's in that playoff series against Iowa. Do you remember much of that, that game seven and who the goaltender was that had to get you through into the next round? Oh, that's a, that's a good one. God, now that you just said that, you did get me. Th- I don't know who the goalie was, though. A guy named Jake Moreland who came up. Jake Moreland. Fresno. Yeah, he played at St. Yeah. Cloud in college. And, wow. Uh, yeah, and uh, he came up from Fresno and, and got through the game, yeah. Wow, that is yeah. You, you know what? It's it's. But that game uh, also was when Tutu came back. Yeah, right. I mean the 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 hush that Claude wanted. No, don't tell anybody. Yeah. And when Toots came on the ice and the the handful of fans that were at the playoff game at the Bradley Center, there. Yeah. It it was elected. It was it was probably much like when you, this year when you're playing in front of two thousand fans. Yeah. When you go from zero to two thousand, that that electricity that would have been there. Yeah, that's that's it's good talking to you guys because I'll, I'll tell you what my my memory is going. Well, you got a lot of stuff going on over here, yeah, right? Right, absolutely. Yeah, but it's nice to to go over these things just as as memories because there are some things you know there's some things some stories I remember. I remember Jordan Tutu coaching him for the first time, and it was uh, first period, and the puck was right in front of our bench, and the puck got shot into the opponent's zone, and Jordan Tutu jumped out on the ice for a line change. Instead of going straight on the forecheck, he went back to our own end. And I'm like, where the hell is he going? <laughs> and I remember I watched him. I watched him. He, he was like a shark. He waited, he waited at the red line, kind of moving a little bit. And the minute he read that that pass was coming up to the wing, he timed it perfectly. And he hit the guy just as he was getting the puck. The guy's stick had to have gone 20 rows up into the stands <laughs> and I, and I watched the whole thing kind of on, you know, be how it was happening before me because I was, I was picturing, I'm like, why is he going back to our own end? But he was setting himself up for that. So yeah, he, he, you know, there, there were some great players uh, that came through uh, Milwaukee and it was again, fun watching him grow as a player and uh, as a person too. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and then once I got to the to the league, I was able to bump into him a couple times and talk to him. And he, yeah, he, he, he was a great guy to talk to. Do you have when you when you bump into these guys, do you have is it time to reminisce or is it just a quick, hey, how's the family, that kind of thing? And, and you move on or there are times I think where you have a little bit more time to talk. You know, Shea Weber's one, you know, you know, I remember in Tampa, I came out in the hallway and he was just going down to play soccer with uh with his teammates and, you know, you just stop real quick and, you know, cause a lot of times it's been, you know, these guys are, are men now, you know, they aren't yeah. kids anymore. And, you know, when Shea Weber starts talking about having a family or, you know, another player starts talking about having a family and kids and, you know, it, it's great to hear. Um, uh, but it does make you feel old. Right. It does make you feel old. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. But you're in not to jump so far ahead, but you're in sort of that same situation where you have a son who like you, he grew up in Milwaukee, right? Or he was bo- born in Orlando, but spent four years of his life in Milwaukee. And now as a parent, you got to go through those same emotions of seeing him play in the NHL for the first time. That must've been and fantastic for you and your wife. Yeah. Well, you know what? It worked out. It worked out great. Uh, he got called up uh, off the taxi or he got called to the taxi squad from Hartford. Um, and they were playing their final two games in Boston uh, on the last weekend of the season and I don't know if it was a Saturday game or a Sunday game it was the last game of the year and it was a noon game and it was an NBC game 
and he didn't play the previous game. He was a healthy scratch. Um, but the next, he called us the next night and said, I'm playing tomorrow. So my wife just happened to be out in Massachusetts at the time. Uh, cause she's from oh. this area in Western Mass from Springfield. So her and her yeah. sister and her husband, uh, jumped in a car and drove to Boston. we were able to be at the game. That's and, oh, wow. uh, because it was an NBC game. We had a game that night. I remember watching it in the house and my older son, Zach happened to be, I think it was like spring break or something. So he was on break. He was there with some friends, but we were watching it on the couch and, uh, it was it was, I, I, I don't remember. I know I, when I played, I got nervous in games, but I don't remember being that nervous and uh, <laughs> wa- watching him play. And right. You know what? You just so bad. You just want him to have success. You just want him to enjoy the moment. And, you know, he, I was so proud of him. I thought he played a really good game and, you know, uh, the team ended up winning, which was a good thing, but it was a great experience. And he, he, I, I will say this about him, much like our older son, Zach, um, they're, they're two different kids, but they both work as extremely hard at what they want to do. And Justin works at hockey and Zach is, uh, uh, just finished his, his thesis. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think what it is. He had to defend his paper just yesterday. He graduated from Villanova yesterday with his master's. So we couldn't be more proud of both kids. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you win, uh, and, and this is sort of along those lines, um, being nervous and all of that player versus coach, is there more relief after you win a championship as a coach than there was when you were a player? Is, uh, was there, there's the great story of Gretzky walking down the hall at, at the Coliseum in New York. Right. And, yeah. and, and the Islanders had just beaten the Oilers in the, in the Stanley cup. Right. And Gretzky thinks that it's going to be hooting and hollering and he looks in and everybody's just got their heads down and they're exhaling yeah. <laughs> is, is all that's going on. Is that kind of like how it was when, when you win as a, well, as a player and a, or as a coach? I, you know what, again, that's a good question. I, I think it's the same excitement. It's the same exhilaration, but I, I, I think as a player, uh, I think physically, you probably feel like you're more a part of it because you're actually touching the puck and you're probably sure. out doing certain right. things. Sure. Whereas a coach, you feel more a little bit as an extra that has kind of just helped a little bit. And, and it is a vital role. I do get it uh, that you, you, you know, you need that. The team needs that. But I, I still think as a player, you feel like you probably more in tune if that's the right word to describe it as far as winning a championship, that, that would probably be the best way I could describe it. It's hard for me to go back because it's been, it's probably been 25 years as, as a player. And sometimes when you get so far removed uh, as a player, you, you tend to forget how it was as a player. Sure. Right. Or even how you thought as a player or, or, or things you felt as a player were now. So um, that would probably be the best way I could describe it. Still was exhilarating, still was exciting. And you, you still have the same nerves. And, you know, the one thing that as a player, you can at least get those nerves and you can get that nervous energy out of you out of, by yeah. skating and going in and getting a, getting a hit. And, yeah. you know, as a coach, you, you don't have any of that. Right. Right. Um, All you, you can have do no is way to get clock, that right? nervous energy out. Yeah. And then I guess that's, that's kind of the gist of the question is when, so when you're done, like that's got to feel, you got to feel like 500 pounds lighter when, yeah. when it's over. I, I I, I do remember this. I, and I bet you a lot of players who have won can, 
can relate to this. I, I remember when we won in Orlando, I, I think it was game six. Um, and I was 34, I think. So 33, somewhere in there. So I was, I was an older player. And I remember getting ready for game six. I, I could have played a game seven. I remember that. You know, you, you get the bumps and you get the bruises, but, you you know, you're so dialed in. You're like, okay, if this goes another game, I, all right, I'm ready for it. Right. I remember waking up the next day feeling so tired. Right. And so I had bumps, bruises everywhere and everything hurt. And I remember <laughs> right. thinking afterwards, I was like, God, I didn't feel this way yesterday. Why do yeah. I feel it today? And I think it's because the mind is really in control of the body. And sure. if you need to do it, the mind will allow your body to do it. Um, but once you knew it was over with and the mind relaxed and you could let go of that, I think your body just starts going, oh, oh, this hurts, that hurts. Right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it, 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 I do remember that. I do remember having that thought. That, that 1920 team you had in Tampa, obviously they, coming up the year before, a lot of disappointment in their loss in the first round and you have this great year and then the season stops. And was there ever any concern on your part that this, that it wasn't going to continue that like you weren't getting back on the ice. And that's particularly sensitive to us at the admirals because we were having an awesome season. We were the best team in the American league and really looking like, Hey, maybe this is our first chance since Oh four to win a Calder cup. Did you have that same feeling in, uh, in uh, Tampa? And were you relieved when they got it back going? Well, it, I think that we were unsure. Uh, uh, our general manager uh, was adamant that we were going to finish the year, that we were going to play yeah. the playoffs. So I think that that helped. But we just weren't sure when it was going to start. And as the, you know, the spring went into the summer a little bit, you're like, man, is this is this really going to happen now? And but. The, you kept hearing things like this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And you're like, well, when and how, and there are so many unanswered questions about how this was all going to, you know, go down the, the playoffs, um, you know, and then just getting back to practicing too, getting guys on the ice, you know, we'd have to go in groups and the groups had to be separated. And um, there were so many unique things to that, that time and how we were leading up to the kind of restarting the season, but getting right into the, into the playoffs and that was another thing that was unique to that whole bubble thing too was playing in the middle of summer right yeah. you know which is <laughs> that's that's different that's different you're supposed you to know? be golfing and, then well exactly and, and you know what we we're in the well charlie you know how i love to golf and since that that bubble all the way through this next season i think i played golf twice in a year oh my god and i i usually like to play golf twice in one day um, so <laughs> So it was, uh, uh, it was unique in, in that, in that sense too. But I, I think we all knew at least had a, had a feeling deep down that it was going to happen. And, you know, obviously we're, we're happy, you know, that it all went down, but I still think there were some questions, you know, the hockey gods wanted it that way because we ended up playing Columbus in the first round, right? right. Which, which was the, the and, team that slayed us the year before. And year I think before. the hockey gods, the way they set everything up. Because I remember sitting in the bubble going, oh, my God, we're going to play Columbus first round. Because they, they were playing Toronto in the play-in. Yeah. Yep. And they beat Toronto. And we're like, oh, God, this is this is going to shape up. We're going to have to face these guys. Right. And to be honest with you, I, I wasn't sure how we were going to react to it. And we won that overtime. I don't know. Was it five overtimes? Five we or six overtimes like or whatever it was. Nine. It was like a six-hour game. Um. 
um, I, I think if we don't win that game, I think it's a different outcome for our season. But I think because we won that game, I think it gave us uh, uh, some really good positive energy and some confidence. How do you manage that game as a coach? As a player, you're con- like, to, to, like you say, you get the nervous energy out. You're on the bench. You're getting shifts. You're, you're, you're able to focus and com- maybe compartmentalize a little bit. But how do you manage a game that lasts four or five hours as a coach? I changed shoes. I changed shoes. Did you? <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I had to put tennis shoes on. My feet were killing me. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine. I never, you never even think of that. Too, Charlie, is, is, uh, so Derek Lalone and I, uh, the whole, just about the whole playoffs up there, we, we wore our tennis shoes behind the bench. Is that right? Yeah. So if you even probably go back and look at the celebration on the ice, I think both he and I have tennis shoes on. That's, that's, just, that's just what we did for the whole the whole playoffs, and it, uh, I think we just stuck with it. If, number one, it was much more comfortable, but uh, we just it just started off. We started winning. We just kept doing it. That's right? experience, uh, right there. That's experience. Yes, yeah. to make that choice. Uh, but you you know what? How, I th- there was a little bit where you, you kind of laughed at it a little bit. You're like, oh, right. You know, the horn would go. You're like, all right, here we go. We're going another one. <laughs> and you know, and then because there was another game after us, it was, it was a little bit like a. Uh, like a youth uh, hockey tournament, like a youth hockey tournament, because you can see, I think it was uh, Boston and uh, who were they playing? Carolina, Boston, so all- Carolina, <laughs> and they were in the hallway getting ready. Right, you know, and we go out for a period. We come off. They were still there. We go out. They come off. <laughs> next thing, next thing you know, they're changing and they're leaving. <laughs> you, you want to know something? And, and this would, they canceled this the game, pre- and then they played at 11 a.m. the next morning. This would yeah. pertain to you because I, I remember that. I, I think it was 1985, and this, I. Uh, it, that happened at the Minnesota State Hockey Tournament. Yeah, I think it was Richfield. Uh, like that, there was a goalie Dale Rail that played up there, and I think that's what happened there. They played until nine thirty, ten o'clock, and that seven thirty game got bumped until the next morning. I remember yeah. that very well. Yeah, but you know this this was the end. and you know what? So the the way that the league and I thought the league did a tremendous job in managing all of that, having the game set up, everything ran so smoothly. And it figures that that is the, the first game and that is the first hiccup. I think it was the first game. <laughs> you know, it just figures, you know, you put games back to right. back and you're like, well, what if game goes to overtime? And you're like, well, what's going to happen? Yeah. And you get the one game that goes five overtimes, goes six hours. Um, but uh, I, again, I think the league did a, did a great job and, you know, just getting everyone, uh, you know, controlling those bubbles and, uh, you know, pumping in sound. You know, just the the difference that that made getting some sound pumped in, you know, being in a quiet, a huge arena, um, just having a little bit of noise in there that 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 really helped that little thing. And the other thing I liked too was how they made the national anthems home in a way that, you know, they had little little things that they they tweaked themselves just to make it feel like, you know, you might have been somewhere else. Yeah. 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 So after that, how you made the choice, the decision to move back to the Predators organization, um, what what all went into that, if you don't mind? Uh, you know what? It was just... Uh, and I, you I had a relationship a, with John Hines, right? You had a relationship yeah, with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. I, I worked with him at the uh, World Championships, but I hadn't talked to Heinze at all. It was just something, you know, being down in Tampa that uh, been there for four years. And I think that's the longest I've ever, as an assistant coach, been with anybody. And I just felt like I, I, I needed something else. I needed a, a, a change. And I didn't even know if I was going to get a job. Right. It was more on a, uh, uh, 
professional level of just wanting uh, something else, an- another challenge. And uh, I was fortunate enough that that a position was still available and it worked out where I, I ended up coming here. And I guess I've really come full circle now yeah. having started out in the Nashville organization as a, as a coach. And now, you know, 20 years later, whatever it is, maybe not quite that long, but most, uh, you know, I, I ended up back here and, you know, there's still a lot of familiar faces, you know, that I've kind of been away from Nashville all over the U S and I come back here and there's still a lot of familiar faces that are still here. You walk in, there's Doug Agnew. Right. Uh, you know, it was great seeing Aggie. Uh, I love seeing Aggie. Uh, you know, there are so many special things about, you know, your time in Milwaukee and, you know, when you win, it makes it that much more special. I think you remember things a little bit, you know, uh, it's a little bit easier. You remember probably more things. Um, you know, they, I remember somebody saying, you don't remember, you don't remember dates. You remember moments and you know, when you win, that's, that's exactly what it is, but you remember the people and I could, I could probably go down and name most of the guys off the team. And obviously uh, Aggie was a big part, uh, you know, him and his family, our kids, you know, kind of grew up same age. Um, so re- really loved him, loved his uh, family. So it was good seeing him again. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie, you got anything else? No, no. I mean, we've kept like usual, we tell people 45 minutes and then an, an hour later, we're like, Oh, well, yeah. here's another question. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. that's, that's because I just keep talking, Charlie. No, and that's and that's what we to shut me up at times. No, and we <laughs> we love that. We love yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. We Todd, we we end and, and maybe you just answered this, but we always end these podcasts by asking our guests, when you think of Milwaukee, what do you think of? Oh man. Uh you know, Stan Drulia, who is a scout for uh Nashville, he was just up here for scouting meetings. And again, this is just taking a simple question and making it along. But uh, we were talking about Milwaukee and, uh, you know, our kids were young. We lived in Whitefish Bay, great family, a community. And just like there's lots of other areas in, in Milwaukee, we just happened to settle down there. Um, but for me, it's always the people that make it special. It's always the people. I've, I've, I've lived all over this country. I've, you know, whether it's American League, NHL, it really doesn't matter. Um, and you can be in a big house, you can be in a small house. Um, but it's, it's the people in the community or people that you work with every day that make it special. And that's probably how I would describe Milwaukee. It's one of the best places that we've lived, uh, when we look back and maybe a lot of it had to do with the ages of our kids. I don't know, but, um, our kids loved it there and my wife and I loved it there as well. So, uh, lived in a great area and there were, we had great neighbors, had great, uh, it was a great neighborhood. And we love the people and the people at work too, uh, every day going down and associating with them. Yeah. Yeah. Todd, it's great to see you. Uh, best of luck in the future. Enjoy the rest of your summer. I hope you can get out there and you get a couple of rounds in by the, golf, end of the yeah. week, by the end of the week, hopefully. Um, all the best. Thanks so much for doing this. All right. My pleasure, guys. Good talking with you. All right. That's Todd Richards. Thanks for listening to this Milwaukee Admirals podcast.